You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Can you guys hear me okay? Well, good morning, family. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good? All the talk about football just reminds me of how my Philadelphia Eagles are sitting at home on their couch, not in the playoffs. <laughs> Makes me a little sad. So, yeah, they're in house church right now, so they're making me a little sad, but it's okay. Well, you know, I was asked to, to do the lesson today and wanted to speak about something that I feel is incredibly vital, not just to the church, but I think to our lives as men and women of God, as men and women on planet Earth. But I think something that we're going to need that is such a key component of really our vision for 2016, who we want to be uh, as the West Side Church and really who God wants to make us into. You know, in our lives as disciples, there's many transitions that are going to happen. Right? You kind of go through even just the, the different stages of our ministries. And I love that Hanley pointed out the different life stages, the different backgrounds that we all come from. There's so many kind of different transitions we're going to go through, whether it's in life, financially, uh, scholastically, maritally. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, you know, but even just tough times, hardships, kind of different things that we have to go through. But one thing that always remains constant Besides our need for God, I believe, is the title of today's lesson, is our need for deep spiritual relationships, like these groundhogs. No, I just, I thought that was kind of cute. But the title of my lesson today is Deep Spiritual Relationships. I believe that this is a crucial element to our growth. You know, with our vision for 2016 to be incredibly fruitful, I feel like, this is something that we've got to become experts at. Is man, is having these deep spiritual relationships. You know, our relationships with one another will define God's church. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. But in John 13, 34 through 35, a very famous passage, I'm sure, whether this is your first time visiting with us or you've been here a thousand times, you've probably heard this passage. Jesus writes, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, Jesus built his church on the idea that our relationship with God would be the blueprint and the design for our relationships with one another. And according to Jesus in this passage... Our relationships with one another by themselves are either going to inspire a lost world or not. That's a great responsibility that we have not only to God but to one another. And I want to speak to that this morning. My first point this morning is give your whole heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul writes, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. 
You know, Paul, I love him to death. I love reading kind of Paul's epistles, his letters in the New Testament, because Paul was never afraid to kind of take it to your teeth. And you read that in all these, you know, churches would have kind of all these issues going on, and Paul was never afraid to kind of like take the gloves off and, and step up to the plate and, and give out a correction or give out, you know, what they needed to hear in the moment. And I love that because in today's day and age, that's kind of a rare commodity, right? To have someone really speak the truth to you in love, especially when you don't want to hear it. But I think what, what's so amazing kind of about his character is the way that he balanced that with just an overwhelming sense of love. That even when Paul was kind of at his most fiery, you never doubted kind of where his motive was or where his intention was. And so even in this moment, you know, he's given out to the Corinthian church kind of this series of corrections and this series of rebukes. And he's writing his second letter, you know, to kind of bring things back and kind of tie things up a little bit. And he notes how they're, they're very guarded. And they're, and they're kind of sitting there, and they're like, ah, Paul, like, you know, oh, here it comes again. You know, they kind of, they're getting ready for it. And he goes, hold on, guys. I'm not, I'm not holding, I'm speaking to you this way because I love you. I'm not holding back. You, you can't hold back from me either. And what, what kind of strikes me about this passage is his tone. Is that Paul is really pleading with them to love him back. And it's not like an insecure, you know, like, oh, do you still like me? I feel like sometimes we can get kind of insecure, like, whether people like us or not, right? That, that shades kind of the way that you say things. When you come into a group of friends for, like, the first time, you know, it's kind of like you're kind of testing the waters a little bit. Like, okay, you know, what can I say? What can I say? I don't want them to think I'm weird, right? Paul didn't have that issue. That insecurity was not, not really there for him, right? But he's, got, he's appealing to them. From this place, look, for, your, for the sake of your own spirituality, for the sake of your own heart, please be wholehearted. And I thought about that. And that is such a key element for us. Not just an appeal, oh, okay, you're right, yeah, Chaz, I need, I need to be wholehearted, okay, then, you know, I like people more, whatever. No, but an appeal to, to the sake of your own spiritual health be wholehearted. And I thought about that. You know, our hearts never achieve kind of what they're meant to do when they're going at half capacity. I thought about that. You know, you think about what your heart is capable of. How strongly you feel things. You know, movies that, that go down, as some of the best movies of all time, go down usually because they can elicit some powerful emotions, right? Some, they can tell a story and present some images and some sounds and some words that, man, it creates something powerful in us, right? That, that's not really real, right? You're sitting there and you're watching a screen and you're listening to a... Like, it's, it didn't really happen. It didn't happen to you. It didn't, it's not like you're watching a video of something that happened to your friend. But we feel like it, right? Our hearts are powerful. You know, how deeply you can be wounded by someone, by their words. How powerfully you can be encouraged by someone. You know, the, the things that you can be moved to do just by a few words from someone you care about. And how much courage that can give you. 
You know, our hearts are powerful things. They're meant to run at full capacity. They're meant to run at full output. And there's something crippling about when you limit your heart to anything less than that. There's something that cripples your growth, that cripples your spirituality, that cripples the way you're able to love, you're able to process, you're able to feel when you don't give yourself fully. And I thought of, what's, what's a great analogy? You're, it would be like as if you had a BMW, right, a really nice one, like an M5 or something that goes, it's meant to go fast, right? And you go and you go to the dealership and you're like, I'm buying this, I'm going to floor it all the time, it's going to be great, and, and you buy it off the lot with four donuts, And if you're like, what's a donut? A donut is a spare tire that's not even the full size of a regular tire. Like a donut is like the last possible resort to like limp your car to a gas station because it's like about to explode. I mean, it says on the donut even like, do not drive above like 40 miles an hour. Like you will die. Like it's, I mean, it's like, it's literally meant for one purpose, like just to limp you somewhere else. But when, when we fail to give our whole hearts, it's like if all four tires on this car, you have this car that's capable of so much. It performs at its best. Like its engine is, is purring when it's sitting on the red line. And yet, you're, sometimes we can be content to just drive it at 40 miles an hour with this donut. And sometimes we can have, I call it a spare tire heart, where your heart just kind of limps along. Right? You're just kind of limping from, you know, going around the fellowship is kind of like 40 miles an houring it to the next gas station, going person to person, instead of kind of what God designed it to be. Designed it to be powerful in what it can take in, but also in what it can give. We have got to be wholehearted. You know, when you're not being wholehearted, you're not giving your whole heart, you never see kind of the deepening joy of the maturing of your friendships. You never see kind of over time what can happen as the people that you love, as you guys grow together, as you grow through difficult challenges, as you go through kind of these situations in life that God presents to kind of Remind us again of who he is. And why do, you know, what, what do I mean by that? Have you ever had maybe a brother or a sister in your small group who you just felt like, man, this person is just so hard to love? You ever had that before? I mean, I'm sure, like, and it's not, it might not necessarily be true, but sometimes, you know, it's just hard to connect or it's, our interests are totally different or I'm an Eagles fan and they like the Cowboys or it's, you, you know, it, it's hard to connect, right? And you can feel like, and so it's like, man, this brother is just, always gets on my nerves, or always. But have you ever sat back and considered, I wonder if this is how God feels about me sometimes, when I'm being difficult. Right? You'll learn a lot from that brother or sister that's hard to love. You'll learn a lot about your relationship with God. Right? When our heart is in, in being wholly given, right? you think about what's good for it. 
sometimes, and I'm going to put this out, sometimes I think it's good for us to be hurt by each other. Because we need to forgive. It is good for our hearts. Not necessarily to be hurt, that, that's unfortunate, but kind of a, a fact of life. But it's good for our hearts to have to forgive. Like Matt was saying, how much more does that mean to us when we consider what we've been forgiven by, of? When you, have to, when you have to wrestle with, man, this, I've been so hurt! You, you know, and someone's trying to, to help you, and you're like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand what this meant to me. You don't understand how I've been let down. You don't, and, and you have to slug through what that feels like. And then remembering the cross is good for us. But only with these relationships. Even just kind of sharing in, in, your, in kind of your pride and joy when you've studied the Bible with someone and they get baptized. Or seeing someone that, that you're close friends with, seeing them get married, or seeing them come through the other side. Kind of the joy that we can feel, the pride that we can feel about one another. Right? Bro, I'm so proud of you. And kind of remembering again, wow, this, is mu- this must be what God feels sometimes when I don't shrink back. You know, when I take a stand for my faith, wow, God must feel like this. I need that. We need that. We need these relationships. In this room, we need these relationships in some of the most vital ways to connect with God. And connect with the reality of of who we are with God. And sometimes who we can be without God. But this is something that we absolutely need. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 19. Right, Paul just kind of gushes about Timothy. And I love even when Paul writes, because Timothy was a young minister. And so I relate to him a lot. And so sometimes when Paul gushes about Timothy, I feel like, man, maybe... Maybe that'll be me one day, you know. There's a sense of like, oh, there's hope. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. But, you know, he gushes about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. You know, everything about the Bible speaks to these relationships. You see it constantly. Like throughout the entire, you know, the new Paul in this letter to take... Just this one thing, he's, he's talking, he's not even talking to Timothy, he's talking about Timothy to someone else, but you can just see the depth of his love for Timothy on these pages, in his words, how much time they must have spent together, right? If you read kind of the letters to Timothy, Paul knows everything about him. He know, you know, he reads about, hears about a situation, and he knows, okay, you're probably feeling insecure Probably feeling like you're not good enough. Here, this is, you need this and you need this. Right? He know, there's a deep, intimate connection they have. Even to the point where he goes, dude, you need to drink a little bit of wine because your stomach aches all the time. 
I mean, bro, that's not good. You need to fix that stomach. You know, it's like he knows everything about him. That's stuff you would only know from, like, eating with him or, like, you know, hanging out with him all the time. He's like, bro, my stomach hurts. It's like, dude, come on. Come on, man. We're out here on campus. Like, you know, but, there's, but this knowledge, this depth of understanding, this connection that was so vital that when you look at, man, Paul even made these requests in prison. Please come see me. At the end of 2 Timothy, please come see me soon. I, I need you. That, that even Paul, as powerful and as persuasive, was not above, bro, bro I, I need you to be here with me. Man, is, is that the way that we feel about one another? You know, I look out and I see so many people in here and I'm like, I, I'm so grateful to be in the West. I am so grateful to be here because I look out and I see so many people that I care about. So many people that I love, that I have connections with, that I have stories, and you're going to hear some of them. And some of them will be funny and some of them will be more serious, but stories and connections that, that this is what the kingdom is. This is what it will be built on. You know, and this, this has to be kind of increasingly and increasingly our goal. That, that our aim is to have a heart that says, okay, no matter where you put me, for no matter how long I'm there, I'm going to build these relationships. No matter where. You, you put me over here for two months, you put me over here for two days, I'm going to leave with, with some kind of new friend, with some kind of new person that I've given my whole heart to because I just can't help it. That, that's who I am. That's what I do. And I want to tell you guys a story. When we first moved to the West, uh, there was a brother here that, that started showing up to our events. And, and I, didn't, I didn't know if he was a brother. I was like, who, who are you? Like, you know, I had the roster and I had, you know, everyone that was in our campus ministry and nobody knew him. So I was like, who is this, who is this man? He was uh, this Chinese brother with long hair. I mean, like hair, like down to like mid-back in a ponytail with glasses. And he would come up and he was like very soft-spoken and very... And I, so one day I kind of pulled him aside. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm Chaz. You know, who are you? And he's like, oh, my name is Manny. And he had this style. He had this swag to him. He's like, oh, bro, hey, my, I'm Manny, man. I'm like, who are you? Like, you know, and he's like, oh, I, you know, I came out here. I go to UCLA. I'm here for nine weeks. You know, I'm, I'm from Boston, from the campus ministry at BU. But I'm taking this summer program, and I'm here for nine weeks. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, okay. Like, I didn't even know about you, and I know the campus minister in Boston. I'm like, he didn't say anything. He's like, yeah, it was, it was kind of last minute. I came out here, uh, you know. I'm like, okay, like, you know, so, so tell me about yourself. Like, you know, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, you know, like a month. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> like across the country, month old spiritually. Nobody told me, like. You okay? Like, you good? He's like, and he, but he's been coming. To, and so over just this nine-week span, he became such a, like a, a key component of our campus ministry. Everyone knew him. Everyone had a relate. He came in with such a genuine attitude. And in the span of, of less, you know, barely two months, we were so, like, brokenhearted in a really good way when he had to leave. We, we, 
Like, we spent, like, probably the last five weeks trying to convince him that UCLA is better than BU. We're like, bro, they got your program. I mean, we got a football team. Got a brother on the football team. Have you met Johnny? Come here. Johnny. You know, we got one or two. We were, like, really sure. Because we're like, man, this guy came in here, and he could have had a whole different spirit. Like, we didn't even know. He was invisible. Like, he, he could have. Nobody knew he was here. He wasn't staying. He was living on campus in a dorm, not near anyone. And it was like, man, he could have just come in and kind of kept to himself. But that wasn't good enough for Manny Chong. And he had, his signature thing was that he would come to events with this Beats pill. In, in the, he always wore either a hoodie or sweatpants. Or both. And so he came with this beat. And so he, always, he was like the theme music of whatever our event was. Even if it was like a serious event. And he always played like these slow jams. We'd be playing soccer and it's like like random like Ray Charles or like Stevie Wonder or R. Kelly. Like I'm like, bro, this is not conducive to my aggressiveness in soccer. Like, this is making me less aggressive. And so we just started calling him Smooth Jams. Like, oh, here comes Smooth Jams. You know, I appreciated so much the way that he came in and the way that he conducted himself in the family of Christ by coming in and, and making himself a part of our family. He didn't wait to be invited in. He came in and gave his whole heart. He said, look, here, what do you want to do with this? Because it's yours now. And I still get and still text him every holiday. Every holiday he sends me like this, this one-page-long text message about how grateful he was for our campus ministry and for the relationships that he built here and how he wants to come out and visit and possibly transfer to UCLA for grad school. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And this is what all of us can experience. This is what all of us can have just simply by giving our whole hearts. You know, we can't let Satan deceive us into thinking that we don't have anything to give. Right? Sometimes we can, man, I'm not, that ta- I'm not as talented as Handley Eugene. I can't, I can't hit that falsetto. I'm not, you know. But, but I think in a, in a, I say that to be joking, but in a real way, we can kind of feel like, man, I don't have anything to give. Or I'm, I'm not that special. Or I'm not that important. Or, you know, kind of these things that Satan can use to just divide us away from one another to divide these relationships. He'll do whatever it takes to kind of split these bonds that we have with one another because he knows how powerful they are. We've got to fight to be close to one another. Beyond just the meetings of the body. Like if you have friends that you only see like Wednesday night, Friday night, Sunday, I mean, you know, taking it to the next level. This is what we've got to do this year. This is what we've got to become. Being wholehearted. And the results, the rewards of this, if you you need a list of those things, I have it here for you. Right? Being wholehearted. The results, the rewards of wholehearted friendship. That it protects you against having a hard heart. Right? Hebrews 3. That he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Proverbs 11. That you'll receive help in your time of need. That you'll be given the courage to overcome. And that ultimately, you will have a spiritual family. And not just in title, 
but in every sense of what God intends that to be. You will have this family. My life has been full. As a disciple, I would say because of my relationships in the church. And especially here. I'm so grateful for brothers like Tony Newsom. You know, when we had the West Side Vision Night, Tony and I sat down and it started over a conversation quite as simple as, Tony, man, how can I look like you? <laughs> Tony, man, I, you know, what, what do I need to do? Bro? And, but after like an hour to however long, it, we were talking for a while, I was like, I could literally sit here and talk to Tony for probably the rest of this night. Like this, I, I love this time that we're spending, you know, I love this connection. I, I need, bro, we need to hang out more. Like, you know, let's go exercise together. Let's go. Like, man, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for John and the way that he aggressively pursues me. Like, John, hey, can we meet up for coffee? Wow, yes. Where? Can, you know, do you want to meet? Can I meet by your house? He goes, no, I'll, I'll come to you. Wow, I, I'm so grateful for that spirit. You know, for Handley, Handley is one of the most genuine and genuinely humble men I've ever met. Handley will come to the campus midweeks and, and seek me out, at, you know, kind of at the end of the night and go, bro, okay, so h- how are you doing? How was your day? I mean, you know, you, all this stuff kind of going on, you know, I know it's the end of the night, but, you know, what can I do for you? How can, how can, is there anything I can help you with? I know next week, is there any way that I can help more midweek to kind of take some of the load off your plate? so grateful for these connections that we have. And it's like, you could go around the room, I could name off like, at least another 50 people. Like, man, this is, what we have here is amazing. Hanley was right. What we have here is a miracle. And we can't take it for granted. If you've been in a Bible study at any point in the last like month, you kind of remember how hard it is to help someone wrestle through their life to, to becoming a disciple. It is a miracle when someone actually gets baptized. I, I'm just going to say that because sometimes we can kind of take baptisms for granted. Someone who's decided to give up everything, their entire life, their entire philosophy, all these things to follow God. That, we can't take that for granted. And everyone in here, even if they're struggling, it's like, man, I have to be so much more grateful because this is someone who's still fighting to give up everything. You know, if you're studying the Bible, we're grateful for the way you're fighting. And we're grateful for the way that you want to fight to know God on a deeper level. We will not take you for granted. We need and will have this spirit. My second point tonight. You got to be friends in tough times. On Friday night, we did our, our Friday night event, our Friday night devotional, and we played a game that the campus is extremely fond of called Fugitive. And what Fugitive is, is we take the campus ministry and we meet at one spot, in this case it was my house, and we drop a pin on, on your, your GPS at another location anywhere from a mile to two miles away. And we give everyone a five to ten minute head start. And the goal of the game is you've got to get there on foot without getting caught by 
five disciples driving around in cars looking for you. <laughs> it's mostly safe, extremely fun, right? We, say, we set some ground rules, like don't go in people's backyards, watch out for dogs, you know, stuff like that. And we do it in like residential areas, so nobody, you know, you're not running across like major streets. But man, the law gets scary after that, you know what I'm saying? But so we play this game called Fugitive, and initially, I, Olivia and I had been sick almost all week, like just feeling really bad, and so I was going to be her runner. Each driver has a really fast person next to them, and so they drive up on people who are, you know, trying to get there, and then that runner gets out of the car, and he, you know, he, he Tony Newsoms them and just runs them down, and then you tag them, and then, you know, they got to get in the car, and they're, you know, they've been apprehended, like... And so, and so Olivia, you know, one of the other sisters is like, oh, I really want to be in Olivia's car. I want to be her runner. Olivia's like, ah, you know, why don't you be one of the fugitives? I'm like, I'm not feeling good. I'm not. At the sound of Chaz is going to be a fugitive, as all young bucks in the campus ministry would, every brother's like, I'm going to get him. Like, every kid, like, campus ministers running out there. Oh, we're going to, you know, we want bragging rights. We want to. And so, at Wonder and Jiwoo, who, this was a picture of the inside of their car. <laughs> Wonder and Jiwoo made it their mission. They were like, we are going, to, almost to the exclusion of all others, we are going to track you down, and we will find you. And so... The first, so we played two rounds. So the first round, I'm running, and the, the week of being sick totally catches up to me. And so, you know, I'm running with a group of brothers, and one of the brothers in the campus ministry has a Prius. If you drive under five miles an hour, that thing is quiet. And so he just kind of comes, like, <laughs> creeping around the corner. We're like, oh, and so we start running. And, and I can't, I, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm dying. And so we all hide up next to this person's, like, garage, and, and Jen, who's like 90 pounds, like, she like corners us at the garage, and so I'm like, guys, just save yourselves, like, I can't go on, and so, you know, they all scatter except for Jose. Jose stayed with me, and we both got tagged, but so the second game, I'm like, oh, I gotta run again, I'm gonna die, and so the second game, you know, all the brothers who didn't catch me, because it was, it was Jen, she was a sister, so all the brothers are like feeling the pressure. They're like, well, this is our one last chance. And so I'm like, okay. And so Jose and I are running and like, you know, we hear cars like, and we're like going from car to car and like hiding in the bushes. And I'm like, bro, I'm sorry, man. There's, there's a big old target painted on my, maybe you should just go on. Like everyone's looking for me. They're not looking for you. And he, and he looks at me and it was one of those moments that I wish was recorded because it was like a scene out of a movie. I'm like, bro, just go on with it. And he stops and he looks at me and goes, bro, I'm with you. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And, we, and so I'm like, I have the courage to run. And so, and so we, we, and we ended up being the first two guys to actually make it to the safe zone the second round. And I think it was because of Jose's amazing heart. But I was like, man, this, you know, how much more do, do I need to hear that? Like, bro, I'm with you. Like, just hearing that spurred me on in a tough time to such a better result. We have got to be friends in tough times. And if you turn with me to 1 Samuel 23, 
We're going to read about a similar situation. In verse 15, the Bible reads, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because David and Jonathan present to us one of, if not the most preeminent example of friendship in, I would argue, the entirety of the Bible. Jonathan was not only David's friend when David was at the height of his popularity, right, when everything was going good, but even in David's most dark hour, when he was being persecuted, not just by anyone, but by Jonathan's own father, Jonathan was still there for him. Traveled out of the city into the dead. You know, David didn't have like a find my friend. I had to turn that off. My wife has me on like, you know, so she knows where I am. I had to turn that off when we were running. David didn't have that. Jonathan didn't have that. For, he couldn't look on his map and go, oh, there he is. Like, so Jonathan is, is roaming through the desert until he finds David. It meant that much to him to be there for his friend when things were at their toughest. You know, in the world, when times get hard, people walk out. Right? The world says, no, 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 you're independent. You need to handle it on your own. Get a cup of coffee, put on some, put on some big boy pants, and handle it. Right? That's what the world will say. It says, no, 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 you sh- if you can't do it on your own, you're weak. But that's not so with us. Our friendships may, might be tested in the tough times, but they're proven strongest in the tough times. They're proven truest in the tough times. You know, we've got to love each other enough not only to say the hard things, right? We talked about that. When we need to call out sin, when we need to call out foolishness, or or, bro, when you are, what are you thinking? But we've also got to have enough love to be there for each other when we've got to repent. You know, sometimes we can be one and not the other. We'll be the one to say the tough thing, but when when it comes time to really help them kind of work through their repentance, it's kind of like, okay, man, that's on you now. You've got to do that. Man, we've got to be able to carry each other through, not just call things out. We've got to be friends I think this, this is a big one for me even. We've got to be friends even when people decide they don't want to love God anymore. And that sometimes is the hardest. But I'm ashamed to say at different points in our past, at different points even maybe now, we have friends that we cared about so deeply, but they make a decision not to follow God and it's like, it's almost like they're dead to us. You know, God loved us even before we were disciples. God loved us even when we were still in our sin. 
we can't not do the same. I think we've got to be followers of Christ that love people even when they don't love God. That, look, bro, just because you don't want to be a disciple anymore, that doesn't change how I care about you, how I feel about you. That I will still be with you. I will, we will still spend time. To, this, is not, this doesn't diminish you and I at all. Because in a very real way, sometimes that's the only thing that's going to help them come back is the people that stayed true, that loved them even in their toughest times, even when they weren't in a position where they wanted to follow God. This has got to be who we become and who we are increasingly more and more and more. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 16. In verse 20, I know it says 21 to 25, that's a typo. Matthew 16, in verse 22. The Bible reads, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is when Jesus was, was kind of going over again, predicting his death to his disciples. Guys, look, the time is getting close. And Peter pulls him aside and starts to rebuke him. And says, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is, this is a passage, and you look at this, you go, wow, that's, Jesus is being a little harsh there. I mean, you've got to think how long, you've got to wonder how long Peter heard these words kind of in his own heart and in his own head after this. You know, get behind me, Satan. But I was looking at it and kind of going over this and really digging deep into this and studying this out. And you look at it, Peter wasn't accusing him of like sin, right? Peter, it wasn't like Peter was like totally off the rocker and he was just, you know, saying like Peter was rebuking, like, no, you're, you can't die. You, you never, out of kind of this, this place of, shock and anguish and at the idea of Jesus being crucified and, and leaving them. Right? He's rebuked. No, th- I'm never going to let this happen to you. Right? Out of this place, when you look at it, out of this place of love. And Jesus, again, calls him Satan, but doesn't say, you know, you're fool. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, right? The bigger picture of salvation. You only have in mind the concerns of, of what's going to happen to my, my flesh if I, I die right here. But he goes, you are, you are causing me to stumble. If you, if you take kind of step aside there, Jesus, the creator of the universe, Lord, is telling Peter, I am struggling in doing what I came here to do. You, you are causing me to, to second, to stumble, to struggle over my ultimate mission because of how badly I know this is going to hurt you. 
He goes, I, I am, you need to stop because, because you're making me struggle here. I am brokenhearted over this. That puts such a whole new light kind of on how Jesus loved. And obviously he, he fulfilled kind of the mission. But I'm sure Peter, kind of in there, was able probably years later to, to understand kind of what Jesus meant. But man, if this is how Jesus loved, how should we love? And this lesson, I say this lesson not from a place of, oh, we're, we're not doing this, and oh, you, you're terrible. Oh, you. More of, again, kind of like a Paul perspective, why wouldn't we do this? You know, when people come up and they go, oh, I'm not going to come. And I'm like, why aren't you going to come? Like, I'm going to miss this event. What do you have going on? Oh, I'm just going to stay home and play Call of Duty. It's like, like, you know, it's like, what do you have going on that's better than being with the body? If this is how Jesus felt about it, if, if all, you know, why, kind of the question, again, the question, why wouldn't we want to be together? When you look around this room and you see all these people, when you see these men and women who are giving up everything to follow Jesus, and you see the, the different gifts and skills, and, and you can take into account your connections and your relationships, and you, it's like, why wouldn't we want to hang out like all the time? Let alone three times a week. It's like, it seems like not asking very much, considering how deeply we should love one another. And so I want to leave with this challenge. I want to leave kind of with, with these practicals in mind. If we can give ourselves wholeheartedly to one another, if we can fight for each other in tough times, man, what would our fellowship look like if we did that consistently? If we did that every day, every week? It's like if you were to just kind of catch a vision for what that would, if you were to go beyond kind of your immediate circle of closest friends, if you were to double that in size in this room, wow, what would we have? It would be amazing. It would be unbelievable. And so to that end, I want to issue these two practicals slash challenges. The first one being, I want to challenge us to make it our ambition to deliberately deepen a friendship with someone this month. I think you can't give yourself wholeheartedly, you can't be connected in tough times without being deliberate. That, that takes effort. That takes going out of your way. Let's make that our, that we are ambitious to be together. That we're ambitious when it comes to our connections with one another. That we're ambitious for our friendships. That we don't let these things fall to the ground. And finally, to create a weekly kind of personal goal to strengthen or encourage the people in your small group. And you go, well, well, what would that look like? Well, I think even coming into the meetings of the body, having, having decided, okay, these, I'm gonna, I am making a deliberate note. I'm going to talk to these three people and connect with them. Like, okay, this brother I know needs encouragement. Okay, so when midweek comes, I'm, I'm going to go after, I'm going to find him in the fellowship, and I'm going to make sure that I encourage him, that I connect with him. 
Like something like that, creating kind of a goal that we can be more connected. I think if we can have this, if we can add this as a part of who we are, as a part of our vision, in increasing measure, because it's not like it doesn't exist here. It definitely does. But in increasing measure, there's literally no limit to who we will become, not only as a family, as friends, but as an entire body and as a movement. Amen? Amen. That is the lesson. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.